Our series continues today at the cross. As we consider these epistle lessons uh, from the lectionary during Lent, this is the final week of that series before we enter into Palm Sunday and Holy Week next week. So I invite you to consider with me Hebrews chapter 5 this morning, starting in verse 5. In the same way, Christ also didn't promote himself to become high priest. Instead, it was the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. During his days on earth, Christ offered prayers and requests with loud cries and tears as his sacrifices to the one who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his godly devotion. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he had been made perfect, he became the source of salvation for everyone who obeys him. He was appointed by God to be a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was on a run a year or two ago listening to a podcast called Against the Rules, written by Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis is the author of Moneyball and other books that kind of uncover hidden stories. And uh, I was listening to one specifically called The Neutral. And in this episode of the podcast, he talks about the rule, the, the role of a mediator that exists in our culture and how there are very few real mediators left. And specifically, this whole episode was about one mediator whose name is Ken Feinberg. Ken Feinberg is the mediator par excellence uh, in American culture. He has overseen the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund, the BP Oil Victims Fund, the Agent Orange uh, Fund, both the Boston Marathon and the Aurora Colorado Funds after the shootings uh, in those areas. Feinberg's decision in these, in these times is to literally connect two disparate parties, and what he says goes. And what's remarkable is that Feinberg's decisions in these things are rarely disputed uh, or, or, or have very little problem. He decides how much a family should receive and be compensated for in many of these cases, or how to mediate a very difficult dispute. In fact, one of Feinberg's latest works prior to the pandemic was actually helping draft a protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation for the United Methodist Church that was released in January 2020, way back then. And this protocol was developed as Feinberg gathered with leaders from very different perspectives in our denomination on human sexuality and helped to develop a way to move forward as a denomination in preparation for general conference that was supposed to be in May of 2020, which now will be in the fall of 2022. The gift of the mediator is the ability to help both sides hear and see one another and work towards a resolution that neither party had deemed possible. In Scripture, and specifically in the Old Testament, we understand that the priest that specific position was given as the mediator. First of all, they were chosen by God. God selected Aaron, 
and the entire tribe of Levi out of the 12 tribes of Israel to serve as priests. The priest would represent God to the people, especially in the realm of sacrificial worship. The people would bring their sacrifices to the priest. The priest would offer that sacrifice on the people's behalf. And the people could not approach God in worship, at least directly, in the same way in which we are used to doing so. And so God met them through a priest. You'll remember this scene after Moses comes down from Mount Sinai uh, with, with the Ten Commandments, and the people are terrified because they had seen this cloud and everything going on up at the top of the mountain. And they basically said to Moses, we don't ever want God to speak directly to us. You do it for us. You handle that. They were so terrified. So the priest is chosen by God to represent God to the people. But at the same time, the priest also represents the people to God. The priest literally offers the sacrifice on their behalf. The high priest was the only person who could enter the holy holies, the inner court of the tabernacle or the temple, wherein the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And they would only actually enter that inner sanctum once a year, once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. They would offer a sacrifice first on behalf of their own sins and their own family before going in to offer the sacrifice on behalf of the entire nation. This one person would offer the sacrifice on behalf of the entire community. Leviticus 16, 17, where this practice is set up and where we understand the role of priest first says this, no one can be in the meeting tent from the air that Aaron enters to make reconciliation in the inner holy area until the time he comes out. He will make reconciliation for himself, for his household, and for the whole assembly of Israel. So the people needed the priest in order to have their sins atoned for and in order to have any hope of communing with God. Their relationship with God through this priest was made right. It was reconciled by that work. Now, Hebrews then takes this image of the mediator and the priest and uses Jesus then as a high priest to describe his work. They describe him using the strange term that we probably aren't used to, calling him a priest by the order of Melchizedek. Mainly because this priesthood of Aaron, the priesthood that God had set up, wasn't enough. Because in the priesthood of Aaron, you had to offer these sacrifices on an annual basis. And we remember, if you've ever tried to read through the Old Testament, you've probably gotten stopped up somewhere around Leviticus. As you have read the various types of sacrifices and various descriptions of the ways in which those functioned in Israelite law and their community. But in Genesis 14, Melchizedek, this figure who's called the king of Salem, but who is also a priest, appears before Abraham. Before there was a law, before there was a priesthood, before Abram had any children and the covenant was ratified with God, and he brings him, he brings to Abram bread and wine and blesses Abram. And then Abram in turn gives a tenth of everything he has to Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews uses this figure of Melchizedek to say that Jesus is somehow in line with this mysterious and eternal priesthood. 
For Jesus, the mediator, like the priests of old, was chosen by God. Jesus represents God, or represents God, to the people. Here once again in verses 5 to 6 of chapter 5 of Hebrews, in the same way, Christ also didn't promote himself to become high priest. Instead, it was the one who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus, in this passage, is of God. We know that Jesus is God. But this passage seemed to say that the Father appointed the Son for this specific priestly purpose, that Jesus truly represents God to the people. In fact, what he seems to be saying is that you don't have to be terrified of God like you were at Mount Sinai, for God has come to us. The priest has come to us. But the priest in Jesus also represents the people before God. Listen to verses 7 and 8. During his days on earth, Christ offered prayers and requests with loud cries and tears as his sacrifices. As his sacrifices to the one who was able to save him from death. He was heard because of his godly devotion. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So the main image that we have of Jesus here and that the author of Hebrews is reflecting on is not him hanging on a cross, is not him rising from the dead. It is rather him offering fervent prayers on behalf of all of humanity before God. Paul Duke writes this. He says, Here is a priest not lifting a lamb or a dove or bread or wine or even an atonement for sin. Into the presence of God, this priest offers weeping and screaming in the lifting up of prayers. Understood as a high priestly act, Jesus is bearing in his person all the loud cries, all the tears and supplications of the people. End quote. In other words, in Jesus the high priest, Jesus has solidarity with humanity. He has solidarity with us. He encourages us to remain devoted to God even in the midst of our suffering. For even as God's Son, Jesus was not exempt from learning, obedience, and suffering. Martha Moore Keish writes this. She says, The promise of this passage is that because God in Christ endured sufferings, the way to eternal life has been opened to us. And Jesus then is called this, the source of salvation. Verse 9, after he had been made perfect, he became the source of salvation for everyone who obeys him. Other translations say that he is the source of eternal salvation. In other words, this priest offers the sacrifice once and for all. We don't need to do it over and over again. Jesus' sacrifice is eternal it takes care of it forever. It is finished, Jesus will cry from the cross. But you see, Jesus is not just a mediator between us and God. Jesus is more than a mediator. He is not just a neutral third party between us. He is both parties he is one with God. He is one with humanity. He is fully human and fully divine. 
we have no image that rightly captures it, so the author of Hebrews goes to this priesthood image and that of a mediator. But he's not just a mediator. He is the one who can make atonement as God, and he is the sacrifice himself as a human. Another way to put it is this. The offerer, the one who offers the sacrifice to God, has become the offering. Jesus is both the one who offers the sacrifice on our behalf, and he is also the offering on our behalf. For in Jesus, divine and human meet. Heaven and earth kiss, and we can be saved. This is the mystery of the cross. The priest becomes the offering, and by it we are saved. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.